Welcome to Shorewords, the ASPN podcast of coastal literature, the factual and fictional accounts that transport us toward the shore. I'm Leslie Ewing, the host of Shorewords, and I'm very happy today to be talking with Galen Rosenwax, marine scientist, explorer, photographer, and filmmaker. I first met Galen at the Friday Harbor Ocean Film Festival in 2017, where her film Fishing for Science, the Giant Trevally, or GT as she calls them, was one of the official festival selections. Fortunately for me, our paths have crossed several times since then. In March 2019, she came to the International Ocean Film Festival in San Francisco. Peter and Tyler talked with her about her short film that was submitted there, Coral, A Glimmer of Hope. So she's no stranger to ASPN. I'd wanted to invite Galen to be on Shorewards and wanted to do so for a while. And then I saw that she was on the cover of Outside Magazine and remembered that that desire to talk with her. So I'm very fortunate that she agreed to be on this podcast today. But before our conversation begins, I'd like to take a short break to hear from the ASPN sponsors. The American Shoreline Podcast Network and CoastalNewsToday.com are brought to you by LJA Engineering with 28 offices along the Gulf Coast. The folks at LJA Engineering are at the top of the craft in the areas of coastal restoration, coastal infrastructure, rivers and channels, numeric modeling, disaster recovery, and design and construction oversight. And now they have a brand new coastal resiliency department headed up by our very own Peter Ravella. Check them out at lja.com. We are also brought to you by Coastal Transplants. Coastal Transplants prides itself on offering specific environmental and horticultural expertise with practical first-hand knowledge of all aspects of coastal revegetation projects. Their high-quality native and wetland plants, extensive agricultural and horticultural experience, along with their skilled and respectful crews, make Coastal Transplants your one-stop solution for restoring coastal ecology of your barrier island community. Learn more at CoastalTransplants.com. And we are brought to you by the Dune Science Group. Did you know that fiberglass is one of the strongest and most durable building materials in the world? That it is resistant to deterioration caused by UV light and salt water? Well, the Dune Science Group does. They offer a full slate of solutions for dune walkovers and boardwalks that are made of fiberglass and built to last. They can handle your dune walkover project from beginning to end, including permitting, design, and construction of the strongest and most durable dune walkover on the market. Learn more at the thedunesciencegroup.com. Galen, you've been an ocean researcher, or more specifically, a fisheries research scientist, for much of your life. With pun intended, what got you hooked on fish? And then just because this podcast is about books, you don't have to feel like you have to mention books unless that was part of your early interest in fish. Well, I think certainly literature has played a huge role in the development of my career. But I'd say that I really began my my obsession with the ocean when I was born. My mom put me on a boat when I was two weeks old, and I think she was on a boat while she was pregnant with me. So the ocean has been a part of my life, you know, since, you know, the day I entered the world. And it's been such an important part, you know, throughout as my inspiration, as obviously my career um, driving force. Um, But I would say that for sure, the first moment that I knew that I loved the ocean was when I was a kid, just constantly being in and around it with my parents, whether we were traveling to remote places to explore the ocean or we were in our backyard fishing. 
um, or pulling seine nets or what have you. And there was a moment when I was um, just under two years old where I was living on Long Island in New York and we had moved around a lot growing up. But until I was four years old, we lived in one spot and a baby sperm whale had washed into shore and he was very sick. And they brought him into the boat basin in Long Island um, by Robert Moses State Park. And they didn't know what was going to happen to this whale. They just knew that this was this young sperm whale, probably five years old, and they were going to try to help him. It was the first major whale rescue in the U.S., the first and only time a sperm whale has been in captivity. And my mom took us to visit this whale every day while it was in captivity there. So for two weeks, just under two weeks while it was there, my mom would take us while these veterinarians were working on this whale. And they eventually figured out that this young whale had contracted pneumonia and he had stranded himself so that, you know, he could breathe. And when they got him into the basin, they gave him antibiotics, squid laced antibiotics and rehabbed him back to health and then guided him out back into the ocean. And so that was a moment for me that I was like, wow, what is in the ocean, you know? And it's funny because I was less than two years old, but I remember it so vividly. And it's actually now... You mentioned the Outside Magazine article, and it's actually about my latest project, which is about sperm whales and about my, how my early connection to sperm whales happened with this young whale named Feisty. And so we're going to tell this story. The film is called Finding Feisty. We just released the trailer for it. Um, and it's about not only the story of this miraculous whale rescue, but then about my connection with these whales and how it's sort of been a driving force throughout. Now, of course, that moment you know, when you're so young, you don't even realize that, you know, it does sort of have that inspiration for you. But then throughout my life and spending so much time in the ocean um, and on the ocean, you know, that from the first time I went snorkeling in Indonesia and saw all those incredible colors in the ocean, you know, in the on the coral reef, it was just absolutely mind blowing. And I think it was really that moment that I knew I wanted my career to go into marine science. And then it was a natural progression to do something in fisheries because of all of the fishing background that I've had. I have this profound desire to keep fish in the ocean and for conservation. And so I think because of that, that's why I ended up studying bluefin tuna in graduate school. But before I did that, I also did biological oceanography and studied in the Antarctic and did some research down there, really looking at big ecosystem projects. And I think you know, fisheries in general is so interesting because, you know, it really is looking at that big picture, how everything's working together, because you need to know all of the factors um, that play a role in that. So I would say that, you know, there's been a lot of different things that have been inspirational to me and why I ended up in this career. And certainly books and literature played a big as much as experienced it, also reading ID books growing up and textbooks growing up and whatever I could get my hands on about the ocean and exploration certainly was. And whether it was, you know, I think, you know, a book called Fish Do the Strangest Things, where, you know, I would learn about these fish that, you know, did all these cool things, like they spit water out to get bugs off of leaves to eat, or, you know, an angler fish in the deep sea that would actually fish with their bioluminescent lure that was hanging in front of them. So I think learning about all of this, it just fed my curiosity for this mysterious, you know, area under this like glimmering surface, you know, of the ocean. While you were talking, I just started to realize that we we recognize there's a huge diversity of things that live on land. Because we're here on land and we see it all the time. And we see things with two legs and four legs, and we see, you know, chickens and 
boxes and horses and cows and and snakes and bugs and all that. But the ocean is 70% of the globe. And then we think it's sort of all one one thing of fish. The fact that we haven't really even isolated them into the number of different categories and subcategories that we have is really um, telling of our terrestrial perspective. And I'm glad that you look at a lot of IG books to to focus in on fish. Yeah, no, certainly. When I was growing up, I wanted to memorize every name of every fish and every marine vertebrate and everything that I could, I'd get my hands on. And more late, more recently, I've been really into shore birds and ocean going birds. So it's been fun because, you know, it's just always been this obsession of mine. I always have like a textbook open looking and learning and I think that's what's so interesting about the ocean as well is that you can continue to learn. There is so much and there's so much diversity, whether it's in your backyard or in a remote region of the world. Um, But it's really just so fascinating. And then for me, it was really about learning how everything was interconnected. And I think I was really inspired in high school to learn more about that. And I started reading books like by Rachel Carson and really understanding human impact on the earth, on the, you know, on the ocean and on, I mean, obviously Silent Spring was about pesticides and how the people are destroying the planet. And so that was sort of an eye-opening book to read. But then she had such a affinity for, you know, writing about our coastal world, especially in New England and the Northeast. And I grew up most of my life in the Northeast of the U.S. So just that connection and, you know, knowing that everything works and sort of learning about ecology first from, you know, literature and her books and then going into it, obviously in graduate school and in, you know, in college and any class I could take. Cause I started taking marine science classes from, I don't know, I think my first one was I went to a marine science camp when I was eight years old and started learning and doing and wow. um, then marine science camp and you name it. And I was, I was in, so I was a very early adopter of knowing that I was going to be sort of in that ocean space. So I just sort of grabbed anything that I could get to, to connect with the ocean. I think it's, uh, yeah, so no, and I think it's especially saying- because I grew up in New York city. So for most of my, most of my life. So it was definitely something that like, I really needed to, to grasp at and learn. And, you know, I mean, obviously Manhattan is an Island, so that's always nice. So. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes we don't think of it as an Island, but and, and I think most people who live there think of it as the center of the universe at times. So it's it's an interesting perspective to think of Manhattan as an island. But I've heard that people actually swim around all of Manhattan. It's a it's one of those big long swims that people try to undertake. Yeah, no, it's an incredible. I mean, if you look at Manhattan as an island, the bodies of water that surround it are absolutely incredible because you've got the Hudson River, which is just such a massively powerful river going into Hudson Canyon. And the whole New York seascape is incredible. But then you've got the East River. And I grew up on the East side. And the East River is a tidal strait. So it's just literally so much water moving through there all the time. Granted, it used to be, it's better now, but it used to be quite polluted. So, you know, you'd see all sorts of trash and what have you. And you'd never wanted to get in that water. But it was still a really interesting body of water to grow up watching. So I looked at your CV and realized that you've you write papers, you give presentations, you make films, you hold photo exhibits, and, and now, of course, you do podcasts. Yes. So there are all sorts of different media channels available to you. You also do expeditions. So when you start out on an expedition, of course, you bring a bunch of cameras with you and such. But 
Have you already planned out how you want to share the information about the expedition before you go? And then what's the favorite way you like to communicate? So I think that, um, yeah, so usually I know why I have an intention with the media that I'm going to produce when I go on these expeditions. Although when I started out, it actually, I didn't know what I was going to produce. I just knew my first expedition as a storyteller instead of as a research scientist I literally was going to run a blog and take photographs for the scientists. And then I had brought a video camera with me and I was able to create this web series up in the Bering Sea. And I realized the power of film and I knew nothing about film other than I had this little video camera. So I created a six part web series from that expedition. And now basically a video camera comes with me on nearly all of my expeditions. Um, And so I'd say that right now I'm using mostly film and photography Um, The writing for me has sort of taken a back seat, which I think is a little unfortunate. I want to try to get back into it. Um, But I think really every expedition has its strengths and weaknesses for, you know, what you want to tell in terms of which medium to use. And I think podcasts are great. And I think it's so exciting to be on your podcast. Thank you for having me. And, um, you. you know, I think it's you reach different people with every different, you know, however you're telling your story. So some people really photography speaks to them, others film speaks to them and others words speak to them. And so I think it's about making sure that you sort of incorporate all three. And obviously when you're making a film, you're also writing a script and you're doing all of those things. So writing is always involved. And when you're using photographs, you're always writing the story along with it. So usually I will go in with an intention. So my last film, when we were on our expedition part of the film, um, we knew that we were going to be making a film. That was our intention, along with some scientific research. Um, and then other times I'll just go as a photographer. Um, and But, you know, I think that there's always, and now with social media, you can really tell these like really fun little micro stories on something like Instagram. Um, and so it's great because you know, there's so many tools to tell the stories, but every tool reaches a different person. So I think for me, I almost always use all of them. And then there'll just be more of an emphasis on one versus the other. When, when you held a, head out on an expedition, is there one book or one type of book that you always bring with you? That's a really good question. So usually um, I always bring the whatever ID book that I need for wherever I'm going. Um, so when I was on a recent expedition to the blue hole in Belize, I didn't know what we were going to find at the bottom. So I was like, I guess I need to bring reef fish books. And, but we were going 400 feet down into the bottom of the blue hole with submarines. So what could be down there? Nobody knew. So I was bringing invertebrate books and things like that. But then of course you also want some inspiration to bring with you. Like, so what would I bring? I guess whatever book I'm reading at the time, you do have some downtime. I tend not to have as much downtime now as the storyteller on a ship, as opposed to when I was the research scientist where I really needed to sort of clear my head. Now I'm just constantly in this like mode of, um, you know, of just telling my own story and I don't want it to get muddled. So for me, sometimes I lean more on poetry and I have certain poems that just sort of like ring in my ears when I'm at sea. Um, But then I do remember when we went to, when I went to Antarctica, I read The Perfect Storm, I think over and over and over again, because those seas were so rough. Um, And so that was kind of a funny thing to read um, while I was out there. But, you know, I think books like that and whatever I can learn from. So I'm usually reading nonfiction um, and something usually about the ocean. 
when I'm at sea. Yeah. And do you go out now with an ebook or do you still take physical copies? So it really depends. I, um, I really prefer physical copies, but oftentimes I'm weight restricted. So what's nice about, you know, ebooks is that you can bring multiple books. Um, and so for the first time on my last expedition, I brought just my iPad to read off of. And I have to say, I just don't love that experience. I don't retain the information quite as well, I think. Um, as a tangible book that I can sort of write in the margins. I'm definitely like a note taker in all of my books. Um, so I think for me, it's, um, I definitely prefer the books, but actually my one of my last trips, I actually brought this great big book about sperm whales by Richard Ellis. And I'm like, this is so heavy. I can't believe I'm actually carrying this. But at the same time, like I think it weighs as much as my camera. But at the same time, I was like, I really have to read this in the physical form. Otherwise, I'm never going to retain any of it. How do I take notes in an ebook? I haven't figured that out yet. Um, so, yeah, so I'd say I do a combination. To me, there's something <laughs> very um, visual about reading a book and trying to remember something. Now, remember on what part of a page that, that passage was on and be able to kind of find it again, even if I haven't marked it, because of just the position and the physical you know, visual cues that I got from the page itself. And I can't do that on an ebook at all. I no, absolutely. I totally agree. And especially because ebooks, sometimes like I feel like they change the font size. So it's not always on the same page. And then it's a percentage instead of a page number. I'm not a fan. <laughs> but I can highlight things and find them that way. But Oh, I'll have to try that. Yeah. Tips. Yeah. Tips from an <laughs> old, old reading ebook. Yeah. 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 So the, the last two episodes I've done uh, for Shore Words have been on my coastal reading recommendations for our times of sheltering in place. And I included nonfiction and fiction, some mysteries and light summer reading, but I didn't have any poetry. I mentioned that in the, in the summary of it. I did finish by reading Pablo Neruda's book, The Sea, but I also mentioned The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. A fantastic That one. was a yeah, it was a poetry option that it just seemed too difficult emotionally, too difficult a book to read right now. And yet you sent me some of your favorite books and poems and included a quote from The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. And you said that you thought it was an appropriate quote for the moment. Do you, do you have that available to yeah, you? Do you mind no, reading? No, absolutely. And it's just, you know, too, it's like really a simple phrase that kind of resounds in my head a lot of the times when I'm trying to be patient. Um, but it's as idle as a painted ship upon a painted ocean. And I think that for right now, because we are in place now, you know, and it's really not by choice, just like the ancient mariner when he had the albatross, you know, they were, you know, there was no wind and they were stuck. And so they had mm -hmm. no, no way of getting out of it and they had to figure it out and they, you know, they had to, you know, sort of solve that puzzle. And I think that, you know, an epic poem like that is um, appropriate for this time in so many ways, but especially those, those two stanzas, but particularly those few words. So right now I'm reading mostly nonfiction. It's something that for me is during unsettling times I go to nonfiction. I did it after 9-11. I'm doing it now. And you said that you're reading mostly poetry. Is that your always go-to reading or is it your unsettled time reading? 
You know, I always read a lot of poetry. I've always enjoyed poetry. Um, but I think for me, I have a lack of an attention span to actually sit down and read a full book right now. And I think that poetry um, is what right now is fulfilling the void that, you know, I have in terms of literature. Um, I haven't been able to sit down and read a book. I've been trying to get through one and I just can't. And so I've got different moments where I just sort of recall some of my favorite poems um, that sort of, you know, if I'm looking at the ocean, I'm very fortunate to be sort of sheltering in, you know, staying in one place by the ocean. So, you know, and I just think there's a timelessness to the ocean and ocean themed poetry um, that is appropriate for me to read right now. And I do agree with you, though, nonfiction is always great because I think, you know, I don't want to escape the world that I'm in right now. I want to sort of look at it in a different way. Um, and I think history, historical nonfiction would be probably for me what I could maybe like grasp my, put my head around right now. But I am definitely reading more poetry, um, you know, like poems by like Edna St. Vincent Millay and Dante Rossetti and people like that. You know, so all of this like timeless ocean um, poetry, you know, just to sort of get myself in that mode. I'm also working on projects that are supposed to be inspirational and happy and they are ocean projects. So because of that, I'm trying to use the poems that I equate with being a really happy time by the ocean and getting myself into that mind space. Great. So you actually sent me three poems that I, I had never read before, which I really enjoyed. And oh, you, good. You, you forgot um, Robert Frost's poem, Never Out Far Nor In Deep. Yeah, that's a great but one. Um, Frost was like my first adult poem writer. I was going to say adult poet. And I realized that almost all poets are adults. Um, and so, you know, there's Dr. Seuss who is timeless, but Robert Frost was one of those first people whose, whose poems I read and felt like I could access them and, and that he was speaking to me as a, as an adult in some form of of whatever adulthood you have when you're in high school. And then I, um, I, so I really liked him for that. And then I learned that his two of his children were named Leslie and Carol. And that's my first and middle name. So I just thought, Oh my God, he knew me. And then it was, of course he was named his children way before I was born. So maybe my parents used him, but in fact, my, I was named for my father. So that, that's not the case, but I've always been really attracted to his poetry and surprised that I hadn't seen that one before. But then what I found really interesting in the poems you sent was that, you know, Frost is a very rural poet and he comes at the observations that he has from one of being in an open space and wilderness and um, not having a lot of people around. Rarely are there people in his poems, but for the people doing the observing and such. And then the other poem that I found in contrast was the Edna St. Vincent Millay. They kind of overlap in time, the people themselves. But I mean, she's a really urban, in the city, all the hustle and bustle and then the, the relaxation that comes with getting out into the um, broader spaces like the ocean. And they're both very evocative of being at the ocean. But um, could you tell the listeners a little bit about both of those poems and 
what is it about them that you like? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, I think that the Robert Frost poem, it's exactly, you know, what you said. I think that it's, you know, it's the neither out far nor in deep poem. And, you know, it's really just about people communing with nature and commun- and using the ocean um, to, you know, it kind of cast that spell, you know, and even though it's sort of this like mirrored surface that you can't see under, it's got this mystery. And because of that mystery, it gives you this, like this wholesome feeling, you know, and it just draws you in. And so I think that that, that's sort of, you know, the, the point for me of that poem, it's just that, you know, provocative nature of the ocean and exiled by, and the St. Vincent Millay has always been a poem that has really spoken to me, I think because I grew up in New York city and exiled for your listeners who don't know is essentially about, um, you know, being in the city, but longing for the sea. And I mean, it starts by saying, searching my heart for its true sorrow. This is a thing I find to be that I am weary of words and people sick of the city and wanting the sea. And I think, you know, I can't tell you how often I have had that feeling when I've been, when I was in high school stuck in the city or even now I still do live in New York city. And so, you know, there are so many moments where I just need to get out and break free and, you know, and then the poem, it goes on to sort of talk about these like beautiful images of peers and, you know, of the seaweed and all of these smells and, you know, you know, that cold feeling and all of that. And then, you know, talks about how happy she is when she gets to the city. And then it, it ends by saying that she's too long away from water. I have a need of water near. And I think for me, I can't tell you how many times I've had that feeling, even though I work on the ocean and I'm on the ocean nearly every time, uh, all the time. But if I'm not by the ocean for water for three days, I'm ready to like, you know, go insane. So I think that it just really, that poem for me just speaks to, every feeling that I have on sort of a daily basis when I'm not by the ocean. And, you know, it's always one of those, just, uh, just some of the, those two, you know, those few lines just always sort of like go in my head and I just know, okay, I'm not the only one who feels this way. And this is just a beautifully articulated way of saying it. And I think that's sort of why it's one of my favorites. So are there any books about the ocean or the coast that you read or that you want to mention? Yeah, sure. Um, so I think that all of Rachel Carson's books are absolutely incredible. I think it sort of does the same thing that and the St. Vincent Millay does, where she poetically talks about these what, these beautiful places along the coast, and Rachel Carson does, so the sea around us and the edge of the sea, um, you know, and it's sort of this the same sort of feeling, you know, where, you know, you want to understand and she talks about you know the mysterious comes and coming and going of you know all of the it's very sciencey how she writes and I think that's why it's so appealing to me but it really you know opens up your eyes to a different way of looking at the ocean um, and then of course the classic old man in the sea is never a bad read and I think again that imagery that he creates of being you know there's obviously all these all of these books and poems have all these hidden meanings, but if you just take it at the superficial level where you want to just escape into this world, you know, of the blue water fighting a marlin, just like the superficial read. I mean, there's all of the undertones and all of the meanings are very important, but the way that Hemingway explains, you know, the rays of light going through that blue water, I think is just so magical. 
Um, and then, you know, he talks about all of these different things. And then he's, of course, he's a fisherman. And, you know, there's one line in, in that book where he says, perhaps I should not have been a fisherman, he thought, but that was the thing that I was born for. And I've often said that because I'm a conservationist. And sometimes I feel that way when I'm fishing that I shouldn't be fishing, but I enjoy it so much that connection to the ocean in a different way than just, you know, scuba diving or being in the water. And um, it's just, you know, it's just this innate, you know, puzzle. And I think that he captures that. And then, of course, I know in your previous podcast, you mentioned Moby Dick. And I think that that's just, you know, it's just a classic. And he also talks about that same draw of the ocean, um, you know, and, you know, when he's talking about, you know, like, he has this one line that, again, all of these lines just sort of always resound in my in my head at certain moments. And it says, you know, if they but knew it, almost all men in their degree, sometime or other, cherish very nearly the same feelings towards the ocean with me. And, you know, it it's so inclusive and it's just so true, you know? And, you know, he like quietly takes to ship, you know, when he's having a bad day or he's having a bad year. And it's exactly what I always wanna do. I just wanna get on a boat and go. I wanna go on a big ocean expedition all the time. So I think that those are the classics. And then certainly there's some, you know, newer literature um, that I'm always sort of reading and excited about. I recently read a book by Amitav Ghosh called The Hungry Tide that was really beautiful about our young marine scientist in India studying river dolphins. Um, and it's just, you know, it's just beautiful book talks about the struggle of being a young female marine scientist. Um, so that was one that I just recently read that someone had recommended to me. Um, and then, you know, sailing books like A Voyage for Mad Men by Peter Nichols. Um, those are like two that I've either reread or read recently um, that I've really enjoyed. So, yeah, I mean, I could go on and on, but I'm not going to. <laughs> so. so what are you reading right now? Be honest. If it's just reading uh, Dr. Seuss. <laughs> um, actually, I was just going to um, read another poetry book by a friend of mine um, called Ship Breaking, and it's by Robin Beth Share. And so I just sort of picked that up. It came out a few years ago, and I was going to um, reread it because um, I think it's a beautiful book. And then I'm also reading, rereading or reading a book about sperm whales by Richard Ellis it's called The Great Sperm Whale. So I'm sort of going back and forth between the two. Um, because I'm doing the research with the sperm whale book for my sperm whale film. So that's what's on my nightstand right now. So when do you think your next film will be out? So we just released the trailer and everybody can see it at findingfeisty.com. And it's feisty is P-H-Y-S-T-Y, the name of the young whale. Um, and I'm hoping, so we just released the trailer and we were hoping that it would be out um, by next fall but we had to put a little bit of a pause on it because of the pandemic. And so we're still hoping that it will be finished by the fall, but I'm not sure when it will be released. Um, so either the fall or the spring. So either fall of 2020 or spring, win winter, spring of 2021. It's the 20th anniversary of the rescue of Feisty, the sperm whale. Um, it happened in April of 1981. So I'm leaning a little bit towards putting it off until then. But in the meantime, we'll be releasing really fun content and little vignettes. There's already two out, including the teaser. Um, so you can get a feeling for what for what the story will be about. I've got to correct you on your math. That's not 20-year anniversary. 40. 40 yes, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> My apologies. 
I, uh, okay. yes, you're right. I keep doing that too. It's funny. It's not you're- the first time I've said it. I just want to make myself younger than I am. <laughs> and I just let it pass. It's like, oh yeah, the eighties were just 20 years ago. Of course. I think yeah. it's because it's 2020. So I think that, and it's 2021. So that's why I keep yeah. saying 20. Um, but yes, you're right. It was very much, it was 40 years ago or 39 years ago this year. So yeah, a long time ago. Yes. So what are you planning to do for Oceans Week? So Oceans Week is going to be very busy for me. We've got, I've got different virtual presentations um, starting on June 5th. Um, I'm involved with some of the UN subcommittees, the SDG Impact Awards. Um, so on Friday, I'm on a panel with about artists and science and the convergence of the two. Um, which will be really exciting. And then I pretty much have something every day of the following week, everything from talking to kids um, through a program called Reach the World. We're doing a fun sort of show and tell about sperm whales on Wednesday. Um, and then another panel about, about oceans and innovation and sustainable innovation in ocean exploration. Um, and then a handful of other things, including some virtual galleries where we're going to do some virtual screenings where you can sort of enter this conference room and see all of this really cool stuff. Um, so I'll have some photos up in sort of this virtual gallery space and that should be fun. And then we're, it's constantly being added to. So I would say, um, anybody who wants to sort of tune into any of that should follow me on social media at Galen Go Explore. Um, and then I'll be posting that whole schedule as soon as it's done along with on my website. But, um, yeah, it's going to be a busy week. It's very exciting. I think that, you know, while it's unfortunate, we can't do it in person and go to the UN for oceans day and then all of the other events that are happening, it's kind of exciting because in a virtual world, people from all over the world can participate. So while I'll miss seeing all of my friends and colleagues, you know, in person, we will be there virtually, um, and I think it'll be a really fun and interesting week. There's just so much going on. So Yeah, I've been looking forward to a lot of the films and panel discussions that I've heard about already. Um, and at the end, I'll let you repeat that so folks can write down your, your, your site and get it. But the question that I ask everybody is about their favorite beach. And I know that you are perhaps sheltering in place at your favorite beach. So I want to sort of modify this for you and say, when you're able to travel again, what beach are you looking forward to visiting? Oh, that's a really hard question, actually, because I think there are so many beautiful beaches in the world. But I will give a huge shout out to the beaches of Long Island, New York, because they definitely are some of my favorite beaches. The entire east coast of the U.S., I think, especially our south facing beaches um, are my favorites. Um, and. There's a magical corner of the planet up in the Haida Gwaii in British Columbia. And those beaches up there, it's mostly a rocky coast, but then there are some just incredibly stunning, you know, secluded beaches um, with dark sand and just really this magical feeling of the rainforest all around and just so much, you know, the fog and the cold and that beauty um, would probably be up there. And then of course, you know, the tropical beaches are always you can't, you know, beat, you know, a tropical Bahamian beach or um, Caribbean beach. So I don't know. It's a really hard question because um, I think every place, you know, that's the thing. Everybody, I always, I'm often asked the question, well, where's your favorite place in the world? And I think every place has such magic. It's just about finding that magic. And 
know, I think I'm, I feel so fortunate because I do get to travel all over and really every place is so special that, you know, it's very difficult to choose just one or five, to be honest with you, <laughs> or 10. I think everywhere is so, I think anywhere by the ocean is beautiful in general. Usually. Yeah. Yes. So, Galen, thank you so much. Do you want to repeat again your the website? Sure. So my website is galenrosenwax.com. That's the best one. And um, or globaloceanexploration.com. That's my company's website. And then my Instagram, Twitter, social handles are Galen at Galen Go Explore. So that's G-A-E-L-I-N Go Explore. Um, and then I also have a Facebook page for my company, um, Global Ocean Exploration. And so all of this information about all of my upcoming events that will be going on through the summer and any news about my film um, will be posted there. Great. Well, thank you so much. It's been great talking with you today. And I hope we can have more conversations together and maybe even have an in-person get together sometime in the future, not too far away. I certainly hope so. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, everyone. This is Shore Words. Thank you for listening today. I hope you've enjoyed this interlude of um, visiting the ocean, visiting with Galen, and being transported shoreward by not just fact, factual and fictional literature, but some of her descriptions of films and photography. So thank you very much. Thank you.